Welcome to Functional Design Enclosure. I am Nate Jones. And I'm Christoph Newman. We're here to help you use Clojure and functional programming to make your everyday life as a developer less frustrating and more fulfilling. So what's on your mind? What do you want to talk about in Clojure? We like to talk about solving interesting problems with Clojure and functional programming. We also like to talk about the concepts and principles we use every day in order to be successful in, in our Clojure programming. But we also would love to hear from you. Yes. If you would like us uh, to talk about something, uh, please reach out. Uh, send us a tweet on Twitter at Closure Design or an email to feedback at closuredesign.club. We'll get into our inbox. And uh, the best way would be to hop into our Closure Design Dash podcast channel on the Closure and Slack. Um, hop on in there and give us, uh, send us some words and we'll send some words back. I think if you hop in there real soon, you might even see the dozen or so uh, topic suggestions that we've been floating around right now. So come be involved in that conversation. See what's going on. We would love to have you. But this week, we're going to be talking about the conch, the 2019 closure conch. <laughs> Nate and I yep. just got back from there. And we have some thoughts. Lots of thoughts. My first thought was that it was very cold there. I thought it was perfect. It... <laughs> I didn't say it wasn't fun. I live I in the great was... Pacific Northwest, so it was very similar in weather. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, but if anything, the cold made us gather around and have good conversations. Yes, uh, cold climate, warm people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh... Yeah, we uh, we actually got to meet some some of the listeners. Uh, we got to talk about um, the podcast, um, but there were lots of really fun um, conversations uh, in the hallway track and between the the, the the talks. I definitely had a lot a lot of fun just wandering about. Yeah, thanks to all of you that came up and talked to us uh, in the hallway track and thereabouts. Really appreciate your feedback and your kind words. Um, is is fantastic. It was fun to meet up in person and and uh, enjoy bantering about closure together, which was really <laughs> neat. With some parentheticals, <laughs> right? <laughs> and then there were some great talks. So our plan for today is to just touch on a few things that jumped out for us in those talks. You can go to the YouTube channel, the Closure TV YouTube channel, and you can see all the talks there. And there's a lot of talks. And if any of those talks grabs your attention, well, go ahead and listen to it. Some of the ones we're going to talk about today, they grabbed our attention uh, when we were there watching them in person. And so um, uh, we want to provide our hot takes, <laughs> our uh, the things that jumped out to us. Um, and then if any of those pique your interest, you can go hear the full talk on YouTube. We will try not to spoil anything. No, but there were lots of really good reveals at the, at the cons this year. So, yes, and uh, clearly we were not recapping all the talks. So if uh, if you are listening listening to this and you gave a talk and we don't talk about your talk, um, it it was great. We enjoyed it, but we only have so much time. <laughs> we don't have four hours to re to re recap the entire conch. Yeah, but it was it really a lot of excellent talks this year. It was uh, it was great. So, uh, Nate, what's what's first on your list? Uh, well, it was kind of hard. I, I, 
there were several talks that I really enjoyed, um, but I think the one that stood out to me the most um, for because because it kind of resonates a lot with us uh, as our as our podcast was uh, Mark Bastian's talk about defeating the four. It was defeating the four horsemen of the coding apocalypse, uh, which is a long. Uh, yes, I think it, it maybe it was the longest uh, t- talk. Maybe maybe it wasn't the longest title, um, but but he. He used the, the 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 four horsemen of the apocalypse as a as a as a metaphor as a framework for talking about kind of what we what we encounter in our in our day to day jobs as programmers um, and uh, and so the the four horsemen he he talked about were unfamiliarity complexity opacity and distance which uh, I don't know about you but sure caused a chill to go up my spine. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but I think yeah, that, definitely. Yeah. I felt like this talk was right up our alley in terms of what we care about in this podcast. Right, we really care about being successful with functional programming and with closure, and really the principles and mentalities for doing that. And and so these four horsemen, we I can relate. I can relate to doing battle with them. <laughs> Oh yeah, and, and one of the things that I like to, is is he 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 also gives some really good advice for just how to approach programming and your career. Like, um, so there's just a, there's a lot of really good um, uh, bits of information. Uh, but but one of the things that really like the the subject matter was great. But he had this way of walking through code um, and highlighting it that was I think it it was really I think straightforward to follow. And he was able to cover a lot of code uh, in the talk. Uh, because of that, because he he wouldn't have to point with his mouse, like he actually had that, like a highlighted area that would hop around um, as he talked, and so it really, I think it it, it did really well. It's kind of an interesting way of presenting code inside of a conference talk. So sit up to me. Yeah, yeah, and some of some of his advice that jumped out to me. Um, two of them really were learn enduring and transferable skills. So he gave the example of Guitar Hero, easy to learn. But then you max out and you can't really transfer that skill. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Versus like learning another instrument, you know, um, you can transfer more of that skill. And then the other tip was m- really getting good at modeling the world as data, right? It works for closure. It works for databases. It works for uh, data domains, problem domains. Um, yeah, b- being good at that, that, that is a useful transferable skill. Yeah, I think I think it was him, but maybe one of the other talks was said, you know, because closure is so data focused, it makes you focus on the data and focus on your your domain first before the functionality. And I think it's a really good way that closure pushes you in towards a, a good a good habit. Yeah, that actually reminds me a little bit of of some of what Derek Troy West was saying. So maybe we could move on to that one. Yeah, sure, go for it. So Derek Troy West talked about um, his experience. Well, the name of the talk is Follow the Data, Product Development and Closure. And he really gets, he, he covered two things, um, both of which I relate to. <laughs> one, one was really trying to do enterprise development and closure and, and meet those enterprise needs. And then the other is specifically the challenges of getting telemetry out of Kafka. And so the the talk was part like enterprise development and why they use Kafka and then some of the challenges. And then he has a product. Go check it out. It's called Operator. It's O-P-E-R-A-T-R. So no E in the operator.io. And the, which helps you get, like see into Kafka. But 
the enterprise concerns that jumped out that I think kind of resonate with the things we kind of grapple with is on this podcast are the concerns of real-time scale and availability. And he was really talking about um, data-centric, like data-centric pipelines um, as as addressing the real-time scale and availability problem. Yeah, and one of, my, one of the things I, li- I liked what he said was that closure really is a superpower for handling these kinds of problems. Um, and because I, I I I see it every day in my in my work, um, I, I wield that regularly, so it, it it definitely resonates. Yeah the the so called standard architecture, the interior architecture, it it really has a hard time scaling. It really has a hard time being highly available, running in real time, and instead immutable time series computing, basically these these uh, uh, journals like Kafka. Kafka streams, Dur- durable it's logs. A really, yeah, durable logs. A distributed immutable log, right? He called it the backbone of distributed computing. I know he's not asserting that, but like the creators of Kafka do, and in our experience, we agree with that. And mm, so yeah. those like l- stream processing and functional programming, it's just like an ideal match. And so he riffs on that in the talk a bit, and I really agree. Like, I really related to that and really agree with that. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think, uh, was there anything else on that? Can I go, go on to the next one? Oh, I was going to say, Gene Kim also touched on that oh, yeah. same thing. Yeah, let's talk. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed Gene, Gene Kim's talk. Um, what was his one? Oh, the Love Letter to Closure uh, and a Datomic Experience Report. I think um, uh, Gene Kim has a very uh, a great energy about him. Uh, he seems to, he's like a whirlwind um, <clears throat> of, 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 of knowledge and, um, and experience. And so it was wonderful to hear him on the stage and actually chat with him afterward, too. Um, but he, he really kind of, uh, uh, his, you know, programming for him was kind of awakened, reawakened, uh, by closure. Um, and, and I think that's one of the reasons why we like closure. We wanted to do a podcast about closure and it's in our, what we say at the beginning, it's like, we want to make you know, your development life fun. And he really echoed those, those, those thoughts about, you know, uh, not having something, be able to program things that don't fall over after two years, you know, under their own weight. Right. So like like Derek Troy West talk, Gene Kim's talk, both of those had a lot of content in it that really is like why closure can reinvigorate your love of programming, why closure really fits like the uh, a lot of the modern domain problems. So if you're really looking for kind of some material or some things that relate to like why you would be using closure in these real world problems, they they both are coming from that practice practical perspective and um definitely the idea he well gene had a really interesting observation because he's coming from the devops world Mm, so he he's written he's written like the literal handbook of devops (laughs) (laughs) the devops handbook right right (laughs) he's a co-author on that and he had an observation i thought was really interesting that if functional programming portends the future of ops, right? If you look at the future of ops, the future of ops is about immutability. It's about pure functions. It's about composability. And you're saying you can kind of see what's happening with containers and Kubernetes and Kafka and these technologies, you know, that are really a, a Lambda. Um, they're about those things, you know, spinning up 
infrastructure and 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 I thought that was a really astute observation um that and so functional programming fits these these future domains really well because functional programming is all about those things too yeah yeah and i mean yeah and not even in not in that stuff but also in in like we see it in a lot of other areas too you just see those those principles just broadening in in appeal and application so um it's a good basis for, for someone who's in closure to be able to reach into so yeah he had a fun quote from rich hickey solve problems not puzzles <laughs> I think we we enjoy, <laughs> but but he teased that apart a little bit. Uh, he was saying like the ideal is we want to focus our time and in, and energy like focusing interesting problems. We don't want to spend our time and energy on what he called one shot learning. Uh, that's like learning the format of a Kubernetes YAML file or learning the right command line arguments to feed into that thing so you can get work done, you know? <laughs> That's oh, the yes. kind of learning we resent, you know? You spend three hours to find, like, the right magic string, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. That that reminds me of, uh, which would have been my favorite talk a couple of years ago as an Amazon uh, AWS uh, architect. Uh, but there was one called Goodbye YAML, Infrastructure as Code and Closure, um, where he talks, uh, it was uh, um, Eno Compton and Tyler Van Hesenberg, Hensberg. I hope I said that right. Um, and they, they, they talked about their journey about like, you know, uh, being able to to, to to write applications and also deploy them into AWS and 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 how so much of that process is involved in writing YAML files, uh, Amazon YAML files, Kubernetes YAML files. There's one slide that has just like the word YAML just like plastered all over it. And um, <laughs> YAML, YAML, YAML. The, the name of an episode we have not done in this podcast <laughs> and, but, and probably will not do. <laughs> no, Um but one thing that is just amazing. So they they basically make uh, have have made a wrapper around a wrapper around a wrapper. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, Amazon has this thing called the CDK, and they wrote something on top of that uh, using a really interesting technology called JSII, which is JavaScript interop in the J- to other languages, um, so that you can actually you know, specify your Amazon infrastructure as as closure functions and closure data structures. And it's just like, it's, it, to me, like, it's amazing to be able to express in a few lines of code, what would take hundreds of lines of, of YAML. Um, Cause I, I encountered this exact problem uh, in a private, in a, in a previous life. Um, yes. You, you've been down that road quite heavily, the whole infrastructure as code uh, road because you've had to deal with spinning up some pretty extensive um, systems in AWS. Yeah. Um, and and I, one, one last thing I'll say about it is I think it's a testament. What they were able to do is a testament to the the power of consistency and and like because of the way that Amazon has specified all of their, their data um, and, and, and then being able to generate things on top of that, you know, generative coding, um, not not template encoding, but ge- like generate like you know code that no longer needs to be touched, but that can be written for us um, by programs. So it's an it's an incredible thing that they've done. So yeah. it's a very interesting talk. I would highly recommend it. You know that's interesting. So the, you bringing that up 
reminds me of the uh, of uh, Dragon Jurich and his interactive programming for artificial intelligence. So what does mm. what does programming for AI have to do with AWS? <laughs> <laughs> well, they're they're both domain specific programming concerns. And and uh, Dragon, he had a really interesting observation near the end of his talk, which I wrote down. Uh, he feels that if we had more literature in specific domains for closure, then people who are in those domains might want to start using closure, maybe even as their first programming language. So so his domain is like high performance computing, especially using like GPUs and things like that for linear algebra, uh, numerical compute, heavy numerical computation. Um, AI and, and things like that. And, and his idea is if you can make solving problems that AI researchers need to solve or solving problems um, that, that people who need heavy, com- like heavy numerical computing, if you can make their lives easier and, by using Clojure, then Clojure is like an on-ramp tool for them uh, in, in their career. You know, and I, I just thought that was a really neat thing. Same thing with the infrastructure as code, right? If somebody is facing this problem of spinning up a bunch of AWS resources and Clojure provides like a just a really clean, decomplected, straightforward way to do that, then there's like a lot of incentive to learn and use Clojure. And you can kind of, we can grow the community that way. Yeah, definitely. I mean, dra- and not, not to mention that Dragon is like just this like single-handedly like making deep learning uh and linear algebra like um like uh, uh making the literature for them i mean you can go directly support it it's not something that's a, an abstract thought for him he's actually putting his time and his his money where his mouth is so um it's, it's yeah very and he's he's supported by um subscriptions so if if you're benefiting from what he does go support him uh it's it's great to see all the work that he's put into that yeah, definitely. Uh, one of the other one of the other talks that I really enjoyed was uh, Chris Oakman's um, probabilistic record linkage of hospital patients. Um, the, the The talk title might sound a little um, a little bit dry, um, but he he's a very engaging speaker. You can tell that um, he does a lot of work with education um, and code boot camps and stuff, and it really came through. I really enjoyed. Um, him, him walking through the story of how difficult hospital data is to um, to categorize and to line up, and um, so he walks through like you know basically comparing uh, deterministic and probabilistic ways of doing that. You know, it's like trying to match the data up manually, like comparing different identifiers or using something that's more of a heuristic uh, where you look at all the data, um, and it, it's 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 really. It actually ends up being quite accessible, and and there were several people that I was sitting next to that were like, "I want to use this, you know, today," uh, and 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 so that was it was a really good talk. I really I really enjoyed it. Yeah, you and I you and I face that problem a lot too in the work we do, where we have different data sources that are about the same information. But then they might have missing identifiers or duplicates. So, like we we work with esports, so we'll have a player that got put into the system twice, and some of the information is associated with one, one player ID or the other. 
And so just just a whole idea of having to match up data from systems that that are incomplete or maybe even slightly contradictory or sort of fuzzy <laughs> is, <laughs> is just very useful. Very useful. Yeah, and he, he told the story very well. So it was good. Yeah, another talk that stood out to me um, was on the last day. So Sarah Kimmich talked about rapid prototyping for software development. And uh, she, in her talk, she she eventually gets to a method, that a method of rapid prototyping, which you can go watch the talk and sort of hear what her method is. But leading into that, um, I think there's a number of things she had to say that I personally found very profound. And one, one of one, uh, a few of those are, she started with saying, you are biased, you can't get rid of bias even when you know you have it. Mm, so yeah. because you can't get rid of it, all you can do is change the way you work. And I just thought that wow. was that was very profound because because then bias really does affect our problem solving. And so if we just can have processes that assume that we can somehow make bias go away, then we're going to continue to to go about developing software systems. In, in an ineffective way. Mm-hmm. And be blind to it, yeah. Right. And so then she was saying like the traditional approach is of, of developing is you have a problem and then that leads to ideas of a solution, which then leads to debate, you know, and we're going to debate it out. And then we're going to settle <laughs> on some presumed solution. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to try that and we're going to have some amount of success or failure. And so, of course, uh, we... Uh, this is my my thoughts on that. So we have to have a lot of fear in that process and carefulness in that process, et cetera, et cetera, right? Because we don't we don't want to end up in the wrong place. And in contrast, she talked about rapid prototyping, where you have a problem, and that does lead to ideas also. But the but from there it differs. You experiment on those ideas. You see how that goes. And you generate new ideas and experiment and generate and see how that goes and generate new ideas. And so you're kind of in this, um, you know, idea, experiment, learn loop. And then at some point in time, the system converges enough that that you have an outcome that's good enough for what you need. And so it really Mm. hinges on the ability to uh, make changes and try things out uh, and make flexible systems that that aren't really rigid. That's fantastic. Yeah, I've always thought uh, programs a lot more about learning than about engineering. Yeah, and so my opinion is like closure, like the decoupling that we get and the loose coupling that we get in closure, in our experience has helped us make systems that are more easily changed. And I know Gene Kim mentioned this in his talk. Uh, he was saying that uh, his code bases in closure are the first programs he's worked on really in his career where after a few years he didn't feel like the code base was collapsing in on itself. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yes. I died. I'm right there. And maybe if you have like, you know, many, many, many more years of experience programming than Gene Kim, maybe you can get an extra year before your Ruby code collapses in on itself. (laughs) But I definitely relate to that. And closure has been fantastic personally. Uh, for me for that too um yeah which is nice one of the things that um closure like like we've said before in the podcast but closure really makes you focus on data and um 
And and so one of the talks that I also enjoyed was uh, the Avi Flax. He did one called Architecture Designs, sorry, Architecture Diagrams as Data. Um, when I saw the talk title, I was like, oh, this is wonderful because everything I've used in the past has been, you know, like OmniGraffle or Visio or, you know, Google, you know, drawings or whatever. Like there's no, there's no way that you can, you know, um, see the differences between those those things or version control them or, you know, be able to a- analyze them. And so uh, he did a really good job of talking about a system that he has worked with uh, and extended. And um, and so I'd recommend going and reading it and listening to it, um, especially if you're in the realm of of wanting to, to be able to analyze um, diagrams um, uh, like basically multiple diagrams yeah. and be able to, and he, so he, he, he kind of, there's a, there's a system out there that he kind of adopted. Um, and then, uh, he's actually working on, on, on making that data more usable, like being able to share diagrams between multiple diagrams, like, um, composable diag. I mean, like once, once it's data, then, you know, all these cool properties fall out of it. So, um, it's very interesting. Yeah. Talk. It's yeah, definitely. It's nice to be able to have those diagrams along with your code base or yeah, like in the Git repo. I know you and I, we've talked about like our REPL oriented workflow and how we make those fiddle files. And, and we like them because we can check them in like documentation and manage them, but then they're runnable. So, so it's like a illiterate programming mm-hmm. examples of how to use an API we put together. And so it's yeah. really neat to have the data oriented, the I get some diagrams in there too which is neat. Yeah, definitely. That also uh, reminded me of my academic year. So I do have a couple of like uh, <laughs> shout outs to the academics. There were some academics that showed up and gave talks, which of course is always near and near and dear to my heart. But Ariel Ortiz, his talk, The Hitchhiker's Guide to Multi-Paradigm Programming, he really talks about his experience um, teaching programming paradigms and over the years, he's used many different languages like Scheme and Prolog and C with Flex and Bison and Java and Python and Ruby and Erlang. But what has happened is be- Clojure has replaced all of those. So now he can teach functional para- like the, the functional paradigm, imperative paradigm, parallel paradigm, metaprogramming paradigm, and logic paradigm all in Clojure. And so it's just really neat to see each of those programming approaches getting done in closure. Uh, and so it's a fun talk if you if you're interested, especially in more of that academic side, to go and see the same problem solved in each of those, which was which was really cool. And then Matthew Flat, he's a creator and uh, developer of Racket, uh, talked uh, similar about using so Racket isn't closure. Racket is a, a Lisp also. And so uh, it's like a cousin of closure in a way. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he, he talked about how they use that to, to teach like novices, like, like beginner programmers all the way up through the more advanced students. Uh, so I found the racket side to be interesting. But his perspective, if you have ever considered getting into academia, he had a whole talk on academic life, which uh, is so true. I, I mean, he is speaking from decades of experience in academia. I, I wish I had seen that prior to going into academia myself. <laughs> right. Uh, maybe this doesn't relate to you, uh, oh, listener, uh, your present situation. But if it does, I would highly, highly recommend going and watching that part of his talk if you're ever contemplating. Is is a career in academia for me? 
Yeah, that sounds good. Um, any other talks you have? I think I'm out of the top ones. Oh, well, Alex Miller talked about tools depths oh, yeah. and dependency inference. And it's funny because tools depths has gotten a lot of billing as well, just solving this one problem, dependency fetching or solving the other problem of just being able to run closure code from the command line. Uh, both of those are true, but Alex really went into why he needed to quote resolve, if you will, or, or have his own take on dependency <laughs> resolution. He wanted to resolve, resolve resolving. Yes. Yes, I don't know. He didn't say resolve, but I'm I'm just speaking for the community. I remember when Tools Depths came out, there was a lot of um, uh, vocal members of the community who are like, "Why are we? Why are, why is the core team wasting their time on this problem?" That that's my summary of their words. <laughs> when Maven has solved this problem, and we have Line again and Boot, and and so really, he kind of talks about what problem it is he was trying to solve and why and how he went about it. And I think he did an excellent job explaining it. And, oh, and yeah. honestly, like from our experience, switching to tools.deps, we have something that really is much simpler than what our options were before it. So I, I really think he is he he is on something there. You know? Yeah, and he did a really good job of showing show like he could have just said from the front, you know, it's hard. And and I worked on it a long time, and and now it's work, and now it's done, you know, whatever. But he really did a good job of sh- of showing you the, the the design tensions and and difficult problems that he worked through, um, and and he did it all visually. And then as a result of it, there is an actual library that he released that actually you can use to to <laughs> to figure out you know the re- dependency resolution problems you that you encounter. And so I think it was it was not only was it uh, like. A, a good, a well-structured talk, but it was also very, very easy to understand. Uh, an actual surprisingly hard problem. Like you don't think that it's hard, but it is. It's, it's very deep. Oh yeah, he had some great examples of just weird things that can happen, and and dependencies pulling in conflicting versions and things like this. So so yeah, highly recommend it. And and I would say uh, lastly on my list. If you want something kind of fun and entertaining and lighter to listen to, but it will get you thinking, listen to Stuart Holloway's Sherlock Holmes Consulting Developer. It was <laughs> it was pretty fun. Uh, basically, it, okay, you got to buy into the premise. So the premise is that the Sherlock Holmes novels contain, you know, this a lot of descriptions of like Sherlock Holmes approach. So you could you could say the author of Sherlock Holmes observations and opinions on human bias and problem solving, right? And so if you if you look at that as a, a canon of wisdom on problem solving and bias and and temperament and all that, you can you can take a lot of uh wisdom out of those novels for helping you problem solve in software. And and so Stuart makes a very compelling case, but also a very entertaining case. And so uh, it was a pretty um, fun talk to listen to. Yeah, always he's always entertaining, um, and I, I I definitely wholeheartedly agree. It's a good one to, to listen to. Yeah, I don't I don't know if it is going to uh, revolutionize your day, but it will be it will definitely be a lot of fun. So uh, th- yeah, don't, those those were talks. Yeah, those were things that jumped out at us. Um, it, it, overall, you know, the hallway track, unfortunately, we don't have any any recording or note about those <laughs> notes about the hallway track. 
But per usual, going to the cons, uh, the hallway track is just a great opportunity to meet with uh, people you admire, respect, or uh, or are like-minded or different-minded, and you can talk and enjoy each other's company for several days. Yeah, everyone that everyone that I met and was able to to shake the hand of was they were all very nice and and and, um, and cordial. We were all there for the same purpose to have fun and to to talk about um, closure. But um, there was someone I think it was on Twitter I saw that someone said that you know the cl- the conch has become less about closure and more about solving problems, and um, and and I, and I really think that was true. I like I, I feel like closure was it was like. You know, it was very much. You know, there there are things that we want to get done, and closure is the best tool. You know, it wasn't it wasn't as much navel gazing about closure itself, um, which which I think is good. It's a it's a very practical perspective. So, and everyone yeah, was, was, I, was great to hang out with. A, yeah, a lot of my conversations really did center in the domain. Um, they were less about closure, like esoteric thoughts on closure and functional programming, and more about what are, what are you doing? What are you getting done? How's closure helping you? Uh, what has your experience been since your team or you as an individual has switched to closure? Um, yeah, it was, it was really, really good to hear those things. All right. Well, I think we've talked enough about this. It's time for everyone to go watch some of those talks. So we'll uh, we'll add links to all of them um, in our show notes, the ones we highlighted. Um, and and if there's one that we missed that you like, uh, please uh, reach out and and uh, and let us know. Um, what, what you thought of it. Yeah. Yeah. If there's a talk that spoke to you, we would love to hear from you. Uh, great ways to get a hold of us or tweet at closure design or send us email at feedback at closure design.club or just come hop into the closure and slack channel closure design dash podcast. And we'll be there. We're uh, depending on what time zone you live in. We'll be there more actively or less actively, <laughs> but we will reply. Or more asynchronously. Yes. Closure does async. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and all of our show notes and past episodes are on on including the ones for this episode will be on the web at closuredesign.club for you to peruse. Uh, please check it out. Okay, that's gonna be it for this week and our closure conj wrap up. But we look forward to chatting some more next week and talking about closure even more. Thanks for listening.